Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'll ask you to turn to where we were reading just a little bit ago in Acts chapter 13. And as you're turning there, can I give you just a little testimony? Sometimes you all don't know what goes on, and um, I'm just proud, especially young people. And I had one of our college students email me last night, and it's probably a couple times a year she does this, and uh, with, with theological question. Isn't that some college student on Saturday evening going to email their pastor with a theological question? And I usually give her more than she bargained for, a couple of pages worth of stuff and uh, (laughs) hear back from her, but I just appreciate that um, God's at work. And um, Acts chapter 13 here, what Pastor Tommy read earlier, it it details what I guess you could call is a watershed moment uh, in the early church from here on out. Uh, The Apostle Paul is the main character in the book of Acts in this narrative that God had Luke give us. And what's described here in these first 12 verses It's also a major change in uh, how the Great Commission has been undertaken so far. Right here, we have like the first real planned mission trip uh, to another country. Uh, This vibrant, active church of Antioch, uh, it's moved by the Holy Spirit to send a team to take the gospel to places where uh, so far people have not heard about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And we read these verses earlier, but before we see what God is telling us here, verse by verse, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that your Holy Spirit, uh, who is present here and dwelling, every person who's trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, um, God, I pray that we'd experience his ministry um, this morning, that we'd have an actual sense of the Holy Spirit's work as he uh, illuminates the truth of this passage to us, and then um, Lord, I, I pray that he, he would motivate us to align ourselves with what you're teaching us here. Uh, God, I, I pray that we would never cease to be a church that is on mission, on, on the great commission that you've given us. Um, Lord, even when difficulty arises, and it will, <laughs> um, because there are, um, there are enemies of the great commission, uh, Lord, I, I pray also that we would be able to see the success. It's so encouraging when we see... Um, when we see fruit, God, from our, from our efforts, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would show us all those things through this testimony this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, yes, obviously there have been previous mission opportunities in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. Um, but this is the initial occurrence where we see a, a mission that, that's actually designed Uh, Verse 1 begins by telling us of the church in Antioch some characteristics about them. I want you to look at this list of prophets and teachers in verse 1 that were part of the body of Christ in the church at Antioch. Uh, We've already heard of the first and the last one mentioned there, Barnabas or Saul, or Paul as we know him, and and his name kind of gets changed grammatically here. He's always been called both. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was the Gentile Roman form of it. Um, But he's probably going to be referred to as Paul uh, from here on out after this chapter. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as one of the 
church leaders, church teachers in your church. I mean, that would be something. Or even Barnabas. Um, also listed as Simeon. That's his Hebrew name. His Gentile name, uh, Niger, uh, meaning dark. So it's likely a reference to uh, his ethnicity, his appearance, as well as his birthplace being in Africa. There, there's some church historians that believe that this Simeon is Simon of Cyrene, because that was a place in Africa who carried the cross of Jesus Christ. It's possible. Um, and then we have a fellow named Lucius, another believer who was originally from Cyrene in northern Africa. And one more church leader named, a guy named Manian, who is described as being brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And literally in the Greek, that means he was a foster child of King Herod Antipas, the King Herod who ruled during Jesus's uh, lifetime, uh, who was part of uh, Jesus being crucified on Calvary. Uh, his parents, Manian's parents, likely being part of the royal court, like he was raised uh, with Herod. And isn't it amazing that diversity of people that are listed here, I mean, people from different backgrounds that make up the church in Antioch, yes, different ethnicities, people who come from different, very different geographic locations, uh, people who were likely brought up in very different environments. I mean, you think about uh, Manian and King Herod. One went one way and one went the other way, didn't they? Even though they were brought up in the, the same environment. And that's still true. That's true of the Church of Jesus Christ today. Uh, even a local church like Dublin First Baptist Church, I praise God for the diversity of backgrounds we have here. I, I praise God for the diversity of personalities that you all have, uh, the diversity of giftings in the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful there's people who can sing up here and lead us in worship. That, that's not my speciality. Um, Y'all are different. So, some of you are more different than others. Uh, amen. I won't mention any names. I won't point any fingers because um, this Wisconsin boy knows that the feeling is probably mutual. Um, th there is strength. There's strength in our diversity here. Uh, God has designed it that way because he has designed you the way that he has created you and the way he has gifted you. Um, there is diversity, but just like the church in Antioch, there's, there's a strength in that diversity because there's also unity, right? Um, we are united to Jesus Christ, just like they were by faith in God's grace to us in Jesus. And when we are thus united together uh, as the family of God to each other, hopefully we're all united in purpose to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. That's what we're here for. Uh, hopefully, we're also united in mission, just like this diverse church was in verse 1. We want to make, this is our mission, we want to make the name of Jesus treasure, not just in our own lives, but here, there, and everywhere. Now, pay attention to another characteristic that's given of this church in verse 2, and it's one that needs to be true of our church as well. It says, they ministered to the Lord. I pray that's what we're doing in all of the different ministries that we participate in here. Uh, I mean, whether you're sewing dresses with the Here, There, Everywhere sewing group, or you're singing in the choir, or you're part of the OCC shoebox ministry, or whether you're teaching Sunday school in about uh, 45 minutes, or whether you're serving on some committee, maybe you're in the children's ministry, maybe you're in the youth ministry. Ultimately, though, who are you ministering to? You're ministering to the Lord, just like they were. Don't forget that. Don't minimize that. God highlights it right here. In verse 2 and 3, um, we can see additional characteristics of a missional church. They're going to be a praying church. They're going to be a fasting church. And I hope that's true of us. It needs to be true of us if we're going to be active, if we're going to be successful in the Great Commission Jesus gave us. So, so I hope you've noticed so far uh, in the book of Acts, in you know, a little more than 12 chapters now, um, 
All of those really exciting, man, I wish we could experience that now, all of those exciting God is at work movements of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they've always been surrounded by Christians who were fervently praying. Uh, and that's sure the concept with fasting. Uh, it is seeking God's direction, uh, his power in a special way through prayer. I would say that from the context of this passage, um, their prayers and their fasting, uh, it was directed at, at God. Um, they were seeking God's will about how, how he wanted them to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's not going to happen. You're not going to get that information, that revelation from God without dedicated, dependent prayer. Uh, we as a church here at Dublin, we will not know how God wants us to do that, uh, how to be participating and successful in the Great Commission. Uh, we won't have the power to do that, not his power. Um, we, won't be, we won't be used to God to do that without um, praying and fasting like they we're here. Isn't that what Jesus taught his disciples? Uh, think about it, Matthew 9, 36 to 38. We're told that Jesus, he sees the lost multitudes. He has compassion on them when he sees this lost, uh, distracted, uh, bound by sin multitude. And he tells his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. M meaning, man, there is a lot of work to be done. That's what Jesus says. There's so many people who do not know me, who don't know what I offer them. And then what? Did, did, did Jesus immediately implement a plan? I'm going to send two here. I'm going to send two here. Did he tell his disciples, get at it, boys, let's go? Um, no, his first instruction in Matthew 9, 38 was this. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, why do you think Jesus did that? Now, because in order to accomplish what he's asking us to do, we need to live independent prayer on his power. And he knows that the person who prays, they're also going to be willing to be the answer to their own prayers. They will be involved. That's what's going on here. As they are praying, as they are fasting here in the church of Antioch, the Holy Spirit shows up. Verse 2, uh, he tells them, separate. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, God had called Paul to this work years earlier probably over a decade earlier, not to go immediately. It wasn't like, Paul, you're, you're called to be a light unto the Gentiles. Go. And that didn't happen. There was a preparation that needed to happen in Paul's life by God first. But, but now, in response to the church's combined prayers and fasting and dependence on God, the Holy Spirit says, it, it's go time. That The mission is a go here. And then verse 3 describes the church's commissioning let me read that. It says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, then they sent them away. So what's going on here? Because we've seen this before in the book of Acts. But, but is there some power that's like supernaturally transferred in this whole laying on of hands act by the church? No. I mean, all the power that they will need is going to come from the Holy Spirit of Jesus who's indwelling them and wants to fill them. But, but this is a beautiful thing, this act here. We do it here. Uh, from time to time, especially maybe when a, um, there's an ordination of a pastor or, or a deacon. Uh, also, when um, we might have somebody going on a mission trip or for a particular ministry designation. Uh, what this church is saying to Saul and Barnabas is this, with laying on their hands on, on them. They're saying, we're, we're doing this. I, I know we're sending you, but, but we're doing this. You, you have our support and you have our prayers uh, we have separated you, as God has told us to, as Holy Spirit has told us to. Um, we're sending you, 
But please realize you are not going alone. And this isn't your ministry. Uh, this is our ministry. Listen, when a team uh, from Dublin First Baptist Church, when they go out to Moldova or, or when they go um, to New York or, or anywhere else, they're not going as individuals. They're going as Dublin First Baptist Church. When you are listening to a child complete an Awana section this evening, um, you are ministering as DFBC. Uh, when you help build a ramp, when you help pack a shoebox, whatever God has separated and sent you to do as part of the Great Commission, uh, it is DFBC doing it. Uh, there's no I in church. There's, there's a C in church. It starts with it, right? And who is it all about? Christ. It's all about Christ. Uh, and so off they go. Uh, the church sent them away. It says, I like how the beginning of verse 4 puts it, saying the same thing. It says, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Verse 3 said, they sent them away. Here it says, the Holy Ghost sent them away. Same thing. But, but guess what happens? <laughs> guess what will happen? When you obey God's calling and when you go, uh, some of the time, probably most of the time, you're going to run into difficulty. And that's what we see, a mission difficulty in verses 4 and 5 out for uh, verses 4 and 5, uh, we find out, first of all, they, they come across uh, an unresponsive audience. Um, naturally, that can be quite frustrating, depressing. It, it can take the wind out of your sails, the passion that you have in ministry. It can make you question, did I mistake God's leading here? Uh, verse 4 says that they left Antioch and they headed to the coastal city of Seleucia, uh, to get on a boat to the island of Cyprus. Now, um, that's where Barnabas was born and raised. I'm sure he had a burden to see the people where he grew up, come to know Jesus as their Savior. And verse 5 says that when they got to the eastern port city of that island, uh, a port city called Salamis, uh, they went to the synagogues of the Jews. And then we also find John Mark is listed as accompanying them on this mission trip. Um, it seems that Salamis... Uh, the city had a large Jewish population because it says synagogues, plural, more than one. Uh, and so this begins a, a typical missionary method that we're going to see Paul use every time he goes somewhere. Uh, he would usually go and preach the gospel in the synagogue to the Jewish people there of a particular city. Uh, their form of corporate worship, it would allow Jewish men like Paul uh, to come in and be a guest preacher at a moment's notice. And what is the effect in this first evangelization attempt according to verse 4? It says, so uh, they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed into, unto Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. So what was the effect of his preaching there between verses 5 and 6? Yeah, uh, what's it say? Nothing. <laughs> it says nothing. It's kind of a lot of crickets there between verses 5 and 6. Um, there's no day of Pentecost. <laughs> 3,000 people coming to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. It seems that their faithful gospel witness was given to an unresponsive audience in those synagogues. I want you to try to put yourself in this mission team's shoes. What would you be thinking? What, what might you be tempted to do? And I've been there. I'm sure some of you have. You feel God's call on your life to do a particular thing. No one shows up. No one is moved. No one definitely has the passion that God has given you for it. Listen, don't let that deflate you. Don't let that detour you. If you have been separated and sent, the current reaction of an unresponsive audience it had better not be your marker for changing course. God, God separated and sent you. 
Um, the awesome thing about perseverance, when that's what we need to be doing here, just like they did. The awesome thing about keeping on is that it, it's a habit. It's a habit. Uh, but do you know what uh, else is a habit? Quitting. Quitting. They, they both will become habits. Never forget singular acts become habits, good, good or bad. And habits are hard to break. Uh, only God, only God knows how many people heard the gospel there in those synagogues at Salamis and then uh, the Holy Spirit days, weeks, months, years later he brought that seed planted to fruition. Had, had this team allowed that unresponsive audience to determine their calling, to determine their effectiveness, what happens in verses 6 through 12 wouldn't have happened. What are, what are we to be when God has separated and sent us? We're to be faithful. We're to be faithful to our call. If God has separated and sent you, don't ever let an unresponsive audience, don't let them separate you from what God's called you to do. This team didn't. <clears throat> Was it all awesome after that? Smooth sailing after this? Not according uh, to the next verses. They also encountered an unruly audience. I've had these as well. I'm still here. No cuts, no bruises. Uh, I remember being in some unsavory inner city locations in Milwaukee and having what could be described as an unruly audience before. Um, an unresponsive one can be depressing. An unruly one in ministry could be dangerous. Doesn't matter. Stay faithful. Verse 6 says that this mission team had gone through the aisle. And then again, may I say, there's still no testimony of converts. I'm sure they preached in between this side of the island and that side of the island. And then they came to Paphos. That's the capital city of Cyprus on the other end of the island. And who did they encounter here, according to God's word? They encountered a sorcerer, a false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Boy, this mission trip's going stellar, isn't it? And... Uh, where Jesus means son of Jesus, literally son of salvation, but we're going to find out he was anything but. Verse 7 tells us that this guy, the sorcerer, he was with the deputy of the country, a man named Sergius Paulus, meaning he was some kind of advisor to the Roman proconsul that was charged by the Roman Senate to govern the island of Cyprus. So this guy's important, Sergius Paulus. And this other guy, the sorcerer, uh, he has influence on him. Uh, Sergius Paulus is described in verse 7 as a prudent uh, man, meaning intelligent, wise, discerning. He was a lover of wisdom. And he calls Barnabas and Saul uh, because he wants to hear what they have to say about what God's word says. Finally, <laughs> we've got a responsive audience, an actual invitation to share the gospel. Now we're getting somewhere, but verse 8 gets in the way for a little bit first. It says, but Elymas, the sorcerer, and, and this isn't a different fellow. Luke changes names here. It's the same guy from verse 6. Maybe he can no longer bear to call him Bar-Jesus. Uh, Elymas withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy, Sergius Paulus, from the faith. <clears throat> and who do you think is behind all this? The unresponsive audience, this unruly audience. Who does not want the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ being preached or being received? Satan, I've heard you say it. Who empowers sorcerers? Satan. So again, what are you going to do, separated and sent one? What are you going to do? Are you going to let an unresponsive or an unruly audience or who's really behind both of those? Are you going to let that get you off mission? Paul didn't. And because he didn't, we see, we see a mission decision. We see the first convert here. And they're successful. There's a corroborating miracle that's explained in verses 9 through 11. 
uh, verses 9 and 10 tell us that Saul, who is also called Paul, and that's how he's going to be referred to pretty much for the rest of Acts now. Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> he set his eyes on Elymas. And then listen to what he said to Elymas in verses 10 and 11. Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now, please do not see this as a proof text for what you are supposed to do every time you encounter an unresponsive or unruly audience, all right? I do not want to walk down those halls tonight. I don't want to. And hear somebody quoting verse 9 and 10 to one of the little kids who's wilding out. Um, Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost here <laughs> in everything he said. And uh, when he pronounced this temporary blindness on Elymas, whatever your response is, you better make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, this was Paul's first miracle that's listed here. And like all the other miracles that occurred in the book of Acts, it was a corroborating miracle. Um, whether it was speaking in tongues or, or healing or chains falling off like we learned about a few weeks ago or prison doors flying wide open, uh, this miracle here, its purpose by God was to validate the gospel message that was given. On the day of Pentecost, Peter could not open up the Bible and go through the Romans road and explain it to all those 3,000 people how to get saved. Um, Paul here, he couldn't open the New Testament and explain to Sergius Paulus what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. The Bible was not complete yet. Now, they, did, they declared the gospel message, the same thing we do with God's word, but in the early church, until the Bible was complete, God used miraculous sign gifts like we see Paul use here in verses 10 and 11. Um, God used those to corroborate, to, to validate the gospel message and to convince the audience that what they were saying was truth. And guess what you and I have now? We have the Bible. We have God's completed word. Um, I, I won't say that God can't or that he doesn't ever use sign gifts like we read uh, in the book of Acts, like, like, like he uses them today. I've heard missionaries speak of God doing things like this, always in places that do not have the word of God to the same degree that, that we have it. When we have this and we disregard it or, or we long to experience something that we might deem more valuable or more powerful, I don't believe God will do that. He wants us to turn to his word, this gift he's given us, this miracle that we have, 66 books. And why should he? Why should he give us anything else? This right here is all we need, amen? This is sufficient to address everything we might ever encounter. It's powerful. It's powerful to call people to faith in Christ and empower them to continue in faith in Christ. It's a gospel. It's the word of God that is the converting message anyway. Um, you know, there is not a single instance in all of God's word where somebody was genuinely saved because they saw somebody do a miraculous thing. There's not. Uh, even when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The only way we are saved is through the Holy Spirit taking the truth of God's word and calling us to faith. And that's what God has this guy say. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the what? It is the power. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation. And it is here too. You're going to see that in verse 12. Let's read it. Then the deputy, 
when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord or the teaching about the Lord. We learn of a mission decision. There's success here finally. I love that little phrase that's stuck right in the middle there. He believed. Sergius Paulus believed. And I hope you're getting this. It says, when he saw what was done, did Paul's interaction, this miracle with Elymas, um, did it have an impact on Sergius Paulus's conversion? No doubt. Yeah, uh, it would. Um, he believed. But what did he believe, according to verse 12? The doctrine of the Lord. That's what he believed, not the miracle that Paul did. He believed the gospel message that was given, the gospel declared by Paul. In fact, it says here that the doctrine of the Lord was what Sergius Paulus was astonished with. Wasn't so astounded by the miracle that happened. It influenced his decision, but it was the word of God. It was the word of God that amazed him and that converted him. Not so much the corroborating miracle. Have you ever heard it? The gospel message? I mean, are you astonished by it? Even if you have heard it, you know, it's been decades since you trusted in Jesus as Savior. Are you still astonished by it? That, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sins. That, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave so that you could be forgiven. And you could have new life in Christ now. You could have eternal life with him one day if you will confess your sins and ask God to be your Savior. If you've never done that, I invite you to do it today, right now, even as I'm talking. If you've got questions about what that means, please come and talk to me. If you've done that this morning or recently, you've never told anyone, please come talk to me. Because I want to celebrate with you. I won't, I won't point you out. Uh, on the back of our bulletin, on our church website, it describes what it means to be saved. And Christian, you who have that testimony, is God calling you to some ministry like he did? Barnabas and Saul and John Mark here. Because he has something. He has something for you to do in accomplishing the Great Commission. Every single believer. Uh, you have a role in making the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. You might have multiple roles. What is it? What is he separating and sending you to do? And please know that in your doing it, you, you will be met with difficulty. I promise you that because Jesus promised us that. Satan doesn't want you doing what God's called you to do. But don't let your passion, don't let your commitment waver when you encounter an unresponsive audience or an unruly uh, reception. That's just par for the course. What did the one you follow encounter? Oh, Jesus. What did he do? He remained faithful. He kept his eyes on the reward. So remain faithful, Jesus follower. Don't be detoured from your mission because there will be success. There will be. I can promise you that because God's word promises you that. The Great Commission will succeed. We know the end of the story. Uh, it's written right here. You, you will, and you will see fruit. You will. I don't know when. You will get that blessing. And you're probably going to see a whole lot more in eternity. You will see lives that you didn't even know that you impacted because you remained faithful. You will see people in eternity with Christ because you said yes when you were called and you didn't quit. Let's remain prayerful, full of prayer, like the church in Antioch was. And let's remain faithful, full of faith, like this first mission team. Just keep doing what God's called you to do. Can God be trusted? Will we use what he's given us? Will we yield to his word? Will we wield his word as Tommy comes and leads us 
and a time to respond. However, the Holy Spirit's uh, used his word this morning to call you to respond. I just ask that you'd obey.